You're listening to audio from Northway Church. For more information about Northway and additional resources, please visit northwaychurch.com. Well, hey, 4 p.m., how we doing? Okay, just see what I got to work with. 40% of you are ready, come on. Hey, if you have a Bible, turn to Romans uh, chapter 15. As you turn there, my name's Jonathan, one of the pastors here. It's, it's always a privilege to open God's word. Romans 15, believe it or not, here we are a year and a half later, almost at the very end of our series in the book of Romans. So next week, Shay Selman, our lead pastor, will close it out. We're in Romans 15, starting in verse 14. We'll go 14 to 33. When we get here, man, Paul's pen, the Apostle Paul's pen is beginning to slow down as it's almost like a, an open intro into his journal, to his thoughts, his love, his care for this church, his plans, his desires, and even his very ministry. And what's striking as we get to this chapter is Paul is a man who is dialed in, who is laser focused, like tunnel vision when it comes to his purposes for God. And it's really incredible. Like, like the purposes of God seem like this North Star for Paul, and it changes everything about him, his prayers, his plans, his desires. And honestly, it kind of begs the question, like, I, I want to be more like that. Like, why, why aren't we more like that. This past week, my, my wife, Caitlin, and I had one of those nights where we were just gonna do a little movie night and um, we're trying to scroll through like different movies. We come to like the throwbacks section, throwbacks classics. And you know, the 90s are back right now. Hello. So we see your platform shoes and your you know baggy clothing and all that. It's awesome. And some of you have been wearing that since the 90s. That's awesome too. And um, but so we, we go for like a 90s classic. Uh, we, we check out Cool Runnings. And so if you haven't seen Cool Runnings, um, I know it's been a while. We, uh, it's this story that's loosely, like loosely is the operative word, loosely based on the 1988 Jamaican bobsled team. So this team, uh, spoiler alert, you had 30 years to watch it, so I'm not worried, but um, they uh, qualify for the Olympic team. And then John Candy is the coach. He's the gold medal winning coach, Irv Blitzer. And he's talking to the, like the leader, like the, the lead driver of the bobsled, Doris. And he says this to him, it's really profound. Doris is anxious. Uh, Jamaica has been made fun of and mocked and no one thinks they deserve to be there. And he says this to Doris. He says, Doris, if you aren't enough without a gold medal, you'll never be enough with it. If you aren't enough with the gold, you'll never be enough without it. Now, we could say that about everything that isn't true of our identity in Jesus Christ. We'll, we'll never be enough with that if we're, not, if we're not enough with what God has done for us through Christ. We're a people prone to grasp for meaning and purpose and grasp and grasp and grasp until we actually hold on to something that's unshakable. There's a study that was published in the Journal of American Medical Association by a team of University of Michigan researchers uh, their question is, what's the biggest key to longevity in life, to leading a long life? And the answer, not shocking, was purpose and meaning, true purpose and meaning. Now, we know this, that many miss purpose because we live for the wrong thing. Like, how many high-profile examples do we have to have of this? Mark Zuckerberg, CEO of Facebook, has been spending, it seems, an inordinate amount of time constructing an artificial like virtual reality that he's calling the metaverse, and we're all gonna be able to like connect with it online. And uh, someone said this this past week or so, here's one of the wealthiest men in all of human history, potentially so unfulfilled by the material environment that his riches can afford him, that he's devoting his whole mind and his whole life to escaping this very world. Katy Perry, few years ago on Instagram said this, a hundred million digital singles and still insecure. 
uh, Taylor Swift's Twitter handle right now, happy, free, confused, and lonely at the same time. A comedian Jim Carrey a couple years ago said this, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they dreamed of so they can see it's not the real answer. And then compound all of this with the fact that we live in an age of anxiety. We're coming out of a year and a half plus of isolation, and many of us are weary and busy. And the question over this text is, how can we find purpose? Or how can we stay tethered to our purpose? Like, how do we stay tethered in the midst of, of all of that? You know, Paul himself is, is writing to this wearied people. You know, you don't, you don't say to someone, don't be anxious unless there's anxiety. And twice Paul has earlier in Romans and Romans 15 from last week is, is called them to encouragement. Twice he's called them to endurance and twice he has called them to hope. And then look at where he starts in verse 14 of our text, Romans 15, 14. He says this, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. In other words, he, he starts with encouragement. He looks at the Romans and essentially says, I'm confident, I'm persuaded, I'm encouraged in your spiritual maturity. First, he says, your goodness. In other words, he looks at them, hears about them and says, there's, a, there's a, a goodness in your motives, your intentions, like you're loving Jesus with your hearts. And I'm so encouraged by that. I applaud that. He says, not only that, like I see it in the way you love God with your minds. You're, you're filled with all knowledge. You know truths of the gospel. Um, you're leaning into these things that he's actually been talking about in the book of Romans. But he doesn't just stop there. He says, you actually love God with, with your hands as well. He says, you're able to instruct one another. That word could be translated counsel one another. Like you've taken gospel care and, and you applied it. Like it's amazing. Paul is encouraged by these people. I mean, I could say the same thing but our church here at Northway, just so encouraged by our body, so encouraged by the way that you love Jesus, by the way that you live for Jesus, and it's awesome. And Paul goes on in 15, and he says this, but on some points, I've written to you very boldly. The emphasis would have been on boldly. So like boldly, on some points, I've written to you by way of reminder. In other words, I want you to recall some things to your mind that you already know. And he says this, because of the grace given to me by God. So let me tell you where we're gonna go for the rest of this text. I just want us to look at the Apostle Paul's life and it's gonna be a template for what it looks like to stay tethered to our purpose. Now, let's be clear. Paul's purpose, we'll see in this text, is not our purpose. And that's a good thing. We don't have to have his purpose, but the way he leaned into his purpose is gonna help inform us. And we're just gonna answer a couple questions that Paul, Paul had to answer. One, who's called us? Secondly, what drives us? And then last, what, why, and why on earth are we here? Like who, who called us, what drives us and why are we here? And then we'll kind of look at our role and land the plane that way. So first, who called us or who called Paul first? Look at 15 again. Paul says this. He says, why, why, why do I have this ministry? Because of the grace given me by God. I love that. It's just because of the grace of God. And look where he, what he says in 16. He says, here's what that grace was. It was to be a minister of Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul knows where he gets his authority from. He's really clear on who has called him to his purpose, who gives him unique purpose. He says, it's because of the grace of God given to me. And if you were to speed back to Romans 1.5, where we started here, Paul says this. If you think this is just an apostle Paul thing, Paul says this to the Romans. It's Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace. I love that. 
you know, did a lot of in-depth study. The Greek word for we there is we, you know, it's really clear. I just want you to hear that it's we, like that's us. We're called into this grace. 17 times in this passage, Paul talks, he, he alludes to the Trinitarian God. He talks about God the Father and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit 17 times. He's super clear on the fact that he has been called by God. I really believe that one of our problems in weariness and sustaining our calling being tethered is that we look to another source of authority other than the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. I think there's a couple ways we do that. I think one for some of us, like we look to the voices of others to be like the final arbiter of our calling and our purpose. And in the Old Testament, a great example of this is David. God has given, the summary is God's given David a really clear promise of what's gonna happen with the Israelites when they engage in a battle and he's, he's given them a promise. And David goes and begins to tally a census and count all the people so that he might feel better about their chances. And God's really displeased with this. I wish that was just far out there, but it's closer to me than I'd like to admit. I mean, that's just been my life a lot and doubting the things God's called me to do. I'll never forget Kyle Worley was a former pastor here and now he's the pastor at Mosaic, but he and I were doing some ministry together. And at one point, Kyle basically just said to me, how long are you gonna let others have the final word on the gifts that God's given you, Jonathan? Like, how long are you gonna? And he literally was like, you remind me of David counting the census. If someone ever says that to you, that's not a compliment, okay? So I'm like, all right, well, thanks, Kyle. Appreciate that. But it was a good word for me because I was looking to everyone else to affirm what God had already said. One of my best friends um, grew up with him in college. He had this dream to be the first ever African-American recording artist for this, this global record company. And, and for about 10 years, it ended up happening. For about 10 years, nothing happened. And people, he, he, people didn't like his voice. He got a bunch of criticism. You should stop singing. I'll never forget. I'm in Atlanta at the Waffle House with him. The Waffle House was my jam back in the day. And um, so we're hanging out and I ask him, well, how do you keep going? And he simply says to me, if God's the one that called me to this, why would I let someone else like unaffirm what God has already said? I'm like, that's so good. I'm just taking notes here. Many of us don't just let the voices of others like detether us from our calling. For, for many of us, it's just our own voice, right? We've heard that quote of, of the person that talks to us most is us, like it's you. you, you talk to you most. You're in your mind the most saying things, whether they're true or not, you can evaluate that with the word of God, but, but you're the one that talks to you most. This is, I think this is Moses at the Exodus. God calls Moses to help free the Israelites from 400 years of slavery and bring them out. And Moses has been in his head too much. And Moses is saying things like this. I don't speak well. Um, Pharaoh's not gonna listen. This isn't gonna go well over and over and over. And God keeps saying, I'm the one that sent you. I'm, these are my purposes. Um, this is my plan. I made your mouth. He keeps trying to direct Moses from himself up to look at God to the very one that called him. Paul knows where he gets his authority from. Paul knows the sound of the voice that called him to his purpose. If you think that your purpose comes from others ultimately, you're dead in the water. Like if you think that your authority and your purpose and calling comes from your own circumstances or your own gifting or your own affirmation of yourself, you're, you're, you're dead in the water. Your authority comes from the risen Lord Jesus Christ. I think this is why Matthew 28, Great Commission starts like this. Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. So go therefore, he compels them, he, he calls them. But Paul hasn't just answered really clearly who, who's called me, who's called me. He's also answered the question of what drives me. Look back at 15 or 16. He says this, 
Here's his calling to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So Paul doesn't craft sentences like you and I craft sentences, but what what he's saying here is this. Um, I'm a minister of Christ. He's called me. I'm ministering to the Gentiles four times in this passage. These people that are non-Jewish people, people that have not been reached by the gospel, that the gospel needs to go forth to. And he says, I'm I'm serving up the gospel of God. That's what he is serving. He goes on in 17, in Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Look at 18, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. So we'll talk a little bit about his unique ministry call. But first of all, I just want you to see, if you saw it there, like the the center of his call is, is simply the gospel of God. Three times in 16 through 20, gospel of God, gospel of Christ, the gospel. Paul is centering his calling. He knows what drives him. It's not just where he's called or to who he's called. It's the, it's the good news of the gospel that's driving him. Again, we said Paul's calling is, is not necessarily all the niches of it are our calling, but we can learn things from it. Examples of that would be Peter and James, James, the half-brother of Jesus. They were called to work at the Jerusalem church. That was affirmed by others in the scriptures. Apollos had a, had a calling to build on other people's foundations. That was affirmed. But here's Paul summarizing his ministry and the unique call he has, but he keeps repeating this idea of the gospel. It's interesting, the Romans thought, I don't know about you, but you know, if someone says something like this to me, like, hey, let's grab lunch or let's grab dinner, and, 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 and that doesn't happen, I just figure, well, they, they probably don't wanna do that, right? And so the, Paul keeps saying the Romans, for years he has been saying, I long to be with you, but he's never come. So they start getting these ideas of maybe he doesn't love us, or even maybe he's ashamed of the gospel. Like maybe Nero's persecuting the church. Maybe he's ashamed of what would happen here if he preached the gospel. And at the beginning of our series, we were reminded Paul was so crystal clear. Romans 1, 16 through 17. No, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. This is like a good review of the book of Romans up to this point, we've been saying that first the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done, first it saves us. In other words, it takes people that are in darkness, brings them to light. It takes people in their deadness and makes them alive. The good news of the gospel saves us. But then in the middle of our series of Romans, we said the gospel doesn't just save us, it sanctifies us. In other words, it changes us. It brings about transformation. That We don't leave the gospel behind as something that just saves people, that's an elementary thing. No, it's all of life. It actually is the thing that changes us because we know because of the work of Jesus, we're accepted by God. And because of that acceptance, we obey. It's been, it's been said that every other religion says this. It says, if you obey then you'll be accepted. But only in the good news of Jesus do we have, you're accepted only because of the work of Christ and the person of Christ, and now you obey. And now here Paul goes from a gospel that saves and a gospel that changes us to saying this gospel is the thing that has sent me. And it's the thing that sends you. There's an upward dimension and an inward dimension and now an outward dimension that it sends the apostle Paul forth. This is why he said this in Romans 1.4. I'm a servant of Christ but I've been set apart for the gospel, which he promised beforehand through the scriptures concerning his son, Jesus, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, 
our Lord. This good news is central for Paul. And I just want it to be central for us too. I want it to be central for me. Um, a few of us have been reading this book uh, by a pastor in North Carolina called Gaining by Losing. And he's got um, and this beautiful picture in there of, of what the gospel does. Like did the gospel, he says the picture, you know, like, I don't know how your birthday parties go. The ones you go to, like, they probably don't have balloons. They probably go to some weird parties. But I, we, we, have, we have balloons a lot at our parties because we have little kids. And, and every once in a while we get helium and those balloons, the, the kids love it. They're floating off somewhere in Farmer's Branch really quickly. But the majority of the time, it's Caitlin and I doing the hard work to blow up each and every one of those balloons. And then we love to play this game as a family where you like, don't let it hit the ground, you know? Okay, I'm getting some nods. Some of you need some discipleship. You need to know this game. But no, the truth is you play that game too long and you're, you're over it. You know, you're ready to stop playing. And I love the picture that J.D. Greer gives. He, he, he gives this picture of that being like just the weariness, the compounded weariness that comes at times when you listen to a mission sermon and there's no gospel there. It's just like, hey, you should give more. You should go love your neighbors. You should be doing this. And it's just on and on and on. And you just have to keep doing that because there's nothing to really make that balloon. There's nothing to make that heart sore. But he says this, fill a balloon with helium and it soars on its own. Okay, no one's taking notes on that part, but this part's good. Fill a heart, fill a heart with passion for the lost and the glory of God that comes from the gospel and it soars on its own. I love that. You fill a heart with the good news of the gospel and it'll soar. This is Paul in Romans 9, just praying and begging in anguish that his brothers and sisters that don't know Jesus would come to know Jesus. How has he been filled with that type of heart? How is his heart soaring? It's the good news of the gospel. One of my uh, mentors used to say it like this. This quote should be on the screen. It's a good quote. It says this, if you want to convince men to build ships, don't pass out shipbuilding manuals. Don't organize them into labor groups and hand out wood, though pathways and pipelines are very important and they're strategic. But here's where it starts. Teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. Like give them something that'll let their heart soar. This is where Matt read at the very beginning of our service. I just wanna read it one more time. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15. It'll be on the screen again. Listen to what Paul says here and listen if you don't hear it. For the love of Christ controls us or compels us because we have concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So we'll talk about that word for a second. That word controls the love of Christ, the gospel, the love of Christ controls and compels us. It means to hold together with constraint. It means to compress other translations say things like this, pre preoccupy. The gospel preoccupies me. The love of Christ constrains me. It holds me, keeps me in, presses me, straightens me. It's almost like Paul saying, I'm pressed on every side by the love of Jesus and it's pushing me towards a purpose. This word is used for a strait that forces a ship to go into a narrow channel or it's used for a cattle squeeze hello, East Texas, uh, that pushes in on each side, forcing the cow into a position where it cannot move so the farmer can administer medication. Paul is controlled and compelled and driven out, not by shame, not by guilt, not by just persuasive talks that'll be here one day and be gone the next day. He's, he's compelled by the good news of Jesus. It has turned him right side up. What about you? What, what compels and drives your life? Is it the gospel or is it mere religiosity? Is it that you are okay and enough and accepted in the sight of God and so then it compels you to go do something or is it to gain 
acceptance. Finally, Paul, Paul doesn't just answer the question of who called him and what drives him, but he kind of gets to this idea of what, what on earth am I here for? And he begins to look at the purposes of God. Look at verse 19. So he's, he's categorizing his ministry by word and deed. 19, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Elikarim, that would have been like present-day Serbia. He's gotten a lot of mileage going. He says, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. And so the apostle Paul had a unique purpose. We said this at the beginning. His purpose is that of what we would call a pioneer missionary. His purpose was to preach the gospel in places that had never heard. This is why he says in 19 that he's fulfilled his ministry across that wide geography. Like what, what in the world does he mean by that? Like aren't, how can Paul say his work was complete when many still have not heard the gospel? Like what, what, is, he, what is he talking about here? It, it relates to Paul's calling. He was called to preach the gospel where no one had acknowledged or heard Christ. He would plant churches in key city centers and then his coworkers would bring the gospel to the outlying areas. An example of this would be Epaphras and and Colossae. But the question is like, how does he keep going? It's one thing after another. Here's what we see him doing. Paul takes the purposes of God and he lets them refine and narrow and clarify his own purpose. Look again at 20 with me. He says, his aim, his ambition is to preach the gospel. We've talked about that. Not where Christ has already been named. But look where he goes next in verse 21. He says, as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see. And those who have never heard of him will understand. I, I read someone this past week just saying, if I was the apostle Paul, I wouldn't have started there. You know, I wouldn't have gone to, he goes to Isaiah 52. I wouldn't have gone there. I would have gone to my Damascus road moment. Wouldn't, wouldn't have you? Like, I think if I'm honest, I would have too. You know, like I was driving to work. I'm on my way to work and got stopped in my tracks by the risen Lord Jesus, you know, like, and he called me to this. I think I would have been going back there. But for whatever reason, Paul doesn't. Paul, Paul begins to go to the Old Testament scriptures to verify the calling on his life. I think the reminder is that not all of us will have a Damascus Road experience, but all of us have the scriptures. All of us have the scriptures. And can I just say like we, me included, we need to be a people more and more just tethered to this book. Um, I know this isn't everyone, but people are saying like, like if you were to give some frames for our evangelical culture and the will of God, we're pretty narcissistic when it comes to the will of God. Like most of us, like we think of the will of God and we start thinking about us. We're like, well, here's my Myers-Briggs, here's my Strengths Finders, here's my Enneagram. And like, okay, so in light of that, like how does what God's doing, how, how does he fit into what I'm doing? And like, we've, we've got it backwards. Here's what uh, Chris Wright says, be on the screen. He says, we ask, where does God fit into the story of my life? When the real question is, where does my little life fit into the great story of God's mission? So in other words, we ask, What's God's will for my life? Good question, better question. God, what's, what's your will for your life? And if I can answer that, like help me lean into that. Start with the purposes of God and let them be the template from which you find your own purpose. This is why in Romans 15, 10 through 13, what Brady preached last week, Paul did something that no one else had ever done in the New Testament. He's just a scary type of brilliance. He quotes from all three, three major parts of the Old Testament, law, prophets, wisdom, writings, and he says they're all saying one major thing. Make God's name and God's salvation known among all the nations. 
So for Paul, he began to rearrange his very purposes in life around this purpose. And this is where we see how Romans 15 doesn't just fit into the context of Romans, but just fits in the context of the whole scripture, that God is painting on a canvas as big as the universe. And he's got a global purpose that's going forward that will never be stopped, that'll come to fruition, that it starts in, we see it in Genesis where he comes to Abram and says, through you, I'm gonna bless all nations. When you get to the end of your Bible in Revelation, it's still there. One day, what a, what a hope for us. One day, every tribe, every tongue, every nation around the throne, worshiping our God and everywhere in between, you see that, that purpose on the pages of scripture. It's, it's beautiful. David, David Livingston was a Scottish physician in the 1800s and he ended up becoming a pioneer missionary in Africa And he met with the London Missionary Society and they essentially said to him, where would you like to go? And he said, anywhere, as long as it's pushing me forward and outward. And he ended up reaching Africa and he saw the daunting mission in front of him. And historians say what he did was he clung to this missionary text. He clung to Paul's ambition. He clung to this promise of if this is the purposes of God, then I can be guaranteed it's gonna be fulfilled because it's God's purposes. So I'm gonna lean my life into that. So this question here, um, are your purposes aligned with God's purposes? Do you ever ask, how is my life contributing to the global purposes of God? Do you, do you take your purposes and ask God to bless them or do you look at God's purposes and ask him to, to help you put your purposes under the template of the very things that he's doing? And now just in light of that, and what's, what's our role? Like what's our, what's our role in all this? I was just thinking today like, I know at Northway, I think we talked about this a good bit. Maybe you've heard it before, but I, mean, I just can't get over the fact that we have a role. Like we have the great joy and blessing of playing a role in the eternal purposes of our holy God. Again, remember, there's gonna be different roles. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 8, that he planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. He's saying there are those who plant the gospel in places where Jesus isn't named. There's, there are those who water a foundation that's already built. And God gives the growth to both. God smiles on both of them. It's not varsity over here and junior varsity over here. God smiles on both of those callings. William Carey, missionary to India for 41 years, said this to his friend who stayed home. He said, I'll go into the pit if you'll hold the rope. You hold the rope, I'll go into the pit. So there's those who go, those who send. There are goers and senders, planters, waters, those who jump into the pit and those who hold the rope. And just wanna say really clearly, man, some of you, We are praying you're gonna go and we need this. We need God by the power of his Holy Spirit to speak a word of calling to some of you who will join people like Josh and Melissa and Justin and Melanie and Ruth and Caleb and others to preach where Jesus isn't named. Uh, At our last worship and prayer, Daniel Shanks and his family got up here on stage and we're commissioning them and he quipped, which I love it. He just said briefly, "Um, I'm up here about to be sent out, but we need a lot more of you with me. And that was his unique way of just saying that, that we, we, we've gotta be a church that continues to sin and just begging that God would stir in ways that more of us would go. I think when you think about Paul's goal of reaching those who hadn't been reached, it begs the question, how, how are we doing? How are we doing? Right now, a 7.75 billion people, give or take, alive today. So you can impress your friends at parties with that stat. billion are alive. Of those, 3.23 billion live in what is called an unreached people group with little or no access to the gospel of Jesus. So so when you think about that, like don't think 
like they're thinking, okay, what church am I gonna go to? Like, do I like the childcare here? Do I like the parking here? Oh, definitely not here. You know, like, like think, think about someone that there's no testimony of the gospel. I spent a couple of years overseas in Asia, and I'll never forget um, telling a student about Jesus. The response was, what's a Jesus? And at first I laughed and then I was heartbroken because I realized he has no concept. He has no concept of who Jesus is and what he has done. No witness, no, no church, no concept of Christ and his work. Um, more than that, 85% of those unreached people are in the 1040 window, this latitudinal and longitudinal line that kind of kind of shows this little pocket of people that are still yet to be reached and about 10% of missionary work goes there. One in 10 missionaries. At Northway, about eight of our 10 missionaries are working in that area. And again, that's not like a varsity and then junior varsity over here, but we're just, we're begging for more. We're begging for God to stir and do more. Next steps, um, some of our team will be outside on the deck after this, but we'd love you to look into one of our go trips, our short-term mission trips to see what God's doing around the world. We haven't had them for two years, so bearing no more tornadoes or pandemics or anything else that we can't envision, we're just praying that they'll get off the ground. But we'd love to invite you to jump in to some of those. Maybe you'll join a Go group uh, next spring and our, our team can tell you more about that, but just a way for you to jump in and sharing the gospel here and having a heart here for people that need to know Jesus before you go over there. It'll be a great next step. You can go talk to some of our mobilization team that'll be out there. So some of you will go. We're begging that God does that, but the majority of us, will stay. The majority of us will hold the rope and we'll get to be what Paul hoped the Roman church would be with him. For time's sake and clarity, I won't get into all these verses, but just look at verse 24. Paul says this. He says, I hope to see you. He's speaking to this Roman church. I hope to see you in my passing as I go to Spain. So Spain was in this day an unreached territory. Paul's going there next. He's hoping to come through Rome after he goes to Jerusalem and gives a gift he says, and to be helped on my journey there by you once I myself have enjoyed your company for a while. That word helped is a little weak. Like it's literally a missionary care term that probably could be better translated. I wanna be sent forth by you. Like Paul longs for this church to be a sending base that would send him out. They're gonna stay in Rome while he goes to Spain, but he wants to be sent by them. He wants them to hold the rope so he can do things that he wouldn't be able to do without them. And I think there's a couple things in this text that we see of, of what should we do. 25 through 28 of this text give this picture of giving sacrificially and giving of our lives. In verse 25, Paul gives this picture that he's bringing aid to the church in Jerusalem. This means he was gonna bring supply, food, and necessities. The collection was so important to Paul that he was willing to delay this trip to Rome that he's been praying for and longing for for multiple years so that he can deliver this money personally to the Jerusalem church. Historian Josephus tells us that a famine had struck Palestine. Acts 11 tells us that too. And apparently this church is still, still reeling from that. They're still under this. And, and Paul is inviting these people to be a people that give generously of their lives. What's interesting is the finances have already been met. They've already been met by churches in other regions. It's the, the famous text we have from 2 Corinthians 8, 9, where Paul says to them, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, Yet for your sake, he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. The church in Corinth heard that and they gave. And so the need's already been met, but he's still inviting a life of radical generosity that maybe it's financially, maybe it's not, but all of us can leverage our time and resources for the peoples that don't have what we have. And I love just hearing stories about that. All of this won't be your story where you resonate, but just a couple examples. Had a, had a guy who told me, 
man, God has given me a unique amount of income. And one of my desires is I wanna give to every unreached country. That's one of my goals. I wanna either go or give so that I can have a, a part in God's global story. I love that. Um, there's a good friend of ours. She, uh, at, at our, our church, our missions team, she leads a, a missions team of a church in North Carolina. And she told us recently that they had a bunch of their retired population in their church came to her and they were like, we've got a little bit of money and some extra time. And together we came up with this idea. We were wondering how would you feel about if you sent us off to some of your missionaries? So we'll pay, we'll pay our own dime. We'll pay the own plane ticket. But we just wanna go care for them and help them continue the work they're doing. Like, what do you think? And she was like, no. You know, like, what, what, are you gonna, what are you gonna say to that? Like, that's amazing that the gospel would compare, uh, compel you to that. There's opportunities for you to give. We've got, you can join one of our A-teams giving care to our missionaries. You can leverage your resources here with our local missions team or learn about how to leverage your workplace and your neighborhood through our gospel missions class next spring, but all sorts of things to do. One, Paul gives them this picture of you can give of your lives radically, just give of your very lives. And the last one gives them a picture that you can pray earnestly. And I wanna read these verses in 30 to 33. Paul says this, I appeal to you, Brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. So Paul prays three things. One, I wanna be delivered from these people that don't know Jesus in Judea. His concerns are justified. Um, those unbelievers in Judea actually try to kill the apostle Paul. Is his prayer answered? It is answered, but only because he's put under Roman custody for two years, like a, a isolation, quarantine type of prison there. And so he, he, his life isn't taken, but he's locked up by the Romans for two years. His second prayer is I'm praying the service for Jerusalem will be acceptable to the saints. In other words, there was gonna be a gift from Gentile Christians given to Jewish Christians, and he's praying that they will accept that gift. So there can be a oneness and unity in Christ Jesus. Was it accepted? Now, Acts 21, 17 seems to show us that it was accepted at least by most, but then Paul right after is arrested in the temple. And many people think that would've been offensive to some of those Jews. So some would've accepted him, some would've been like, he got arrested in our temple? Who is he? Like the hand of God's not on him. So there's still some unacceptability. Last prayer request he, said, he has, and he just wants to come to see them. Finally, after years, I wanna get to Rome and I'm praying I'll be refreshed and there'll be joy as we see each other. And Paul does get to Rome. He does experience some measure of joy and refreshment, Philippians 1 and 2 show us, but he arrived there in Roman chains. He arrives as a prisoner. Let me just say this as we begin to close, that the normal Christian life, when you follow the purposes of God, the normal Christian life, not the something's wrong with that person, not like a karma, we don't believe in karma, hello, not like a karma type of, man, what, what did they do wrong? The normal Christian life is difficulty, opposition, restrained desires, and a call to remain faithful to God's purposes in the midst. Paul longs to go to Rome, but he never goes at to some point. And because of that, they have all sorts of whispers about him. Maybe he doesn't love us. Maybe he's ashamed. Uh, to, to follow Jesus and his purposes, we have to lay down our reputations. We have to lay down our desire to be understood and be okay with being misunderstood. 
Secondly, Paul lays down his very desires and plans. All the things he'd hoped to do, all the things he thought would be true, he lays them down. The normal Christian life is difficulty, opposition, restrained desires, and a call to remain faithful to God's purpose in the midst. And in closing, a couple of our long-term overseas missionaries right now are in an area of the world where war is breaking out. They have encouraged all expats to leave this country. In other words, anyone who is not native to this country, any foreigner, it should leave. And this missionary family of ours has just decided, we don't think we should leave. We think this is God's call. We feel constrained to stay here with the purpose that God's given them. And because of that, man, it's been difficult. They had a teammate put in prison and now released. They have four single ladies on their team who've experienced difficulty but are, are doing okay. They're being misunderstood by other missionaries and organizations. Whenever someone has a strong calling this way, there's other people that'll mock it and be like, who do you, th- do you think you're better than us? Like, what, what, what are you doing? Now are they misunderstood? They're, they're having to put down their desires. This is not the environment they'd hoped for their kids when their friends are leaving from school and going back home when they're hearing gunshots in their neighborhood, like they're laying down their reputations, they're laying down their desires, but they've said they're doing it because the good news of the gospel is compelling them and the purposes of God are tethering them to do something worth their lives. Paul's last verse here in Romans 15 is simply this. May the, I love it. May the God of peace be with you. It's the person who has the peace of God in their hearts who can meet all of life's difficulties unafraid. How do you get it? You don't get it just by looking to examples of missionaries. You don't get it just by looking to the apostle Paul, though he's great. You get it by looking at the suffering servant who is also the Prince of Peace. Jesus Christ, laser focused on his mission, like no one the world has ever seen, set his face like flint towards Jerusalem, Isaiah says, held the gospel in his heart in such a way that Hebrew says he endured, why? For the joy set before him. Listen to the, the voice of God and the purposes of God in such a way that he would say, Father, not my will, but yours be done. He was mistreated, maligned, misunderstood. He laid down his desires and his very life. And he did so that you and I might come to know the fruit of a life truly lived on purpose, tethered to the purposes of God. Let me pray for us, church family, and then we just get to, as always, celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Father, we love you. Thanks so much for uh, your word. Just grateful for the good news of the gospel, that we're accepted because of the work of Jesus Christ and not our own work. God, I'm just grateful for the life of the Apostle Paul, and I just pray that you would make us, in your grace, a people who hear your voice who know that you're the one that called us, would you make us a people that are driven? Would you make us driven by the good news of the gospel? Let our hearts soar because of the gospel. And God, I just pray that we'd be a people that let your purposes define our very own. I just ask in your grace and mercy, would you pour out your spirit in such a way that Northway could continue to be a sending base so that many would get to have the joy of knowing Christ that don't know him now. We love you, Father, and pray this for your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Northway Church. A podcast should never replace gathering with God's people to worship Jesus. So we want to encourage you to be a part of a local church family. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m., 11.15, and 4 p.m., and would love for you to join us as we encounter the truth, beauty, and goodness of Jesus.